Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is co-host Stephen Kerr in another wild week on the Houston sports scene. A couple of major moves. The Astros have a new GM and the Rockets trade Clint Capella and a first round pick for Robert Covington. Stephen, let's start off with the Rockets. And I should say that this deal had a few more pieces to it. The contract better known as Nene and the foot injury better known as as Gerald Green were also part of the deal, they also add Jordan Bell from the Timberwolves. Bell, a rim-running big man, a.k.a. Bargain Ben Capella. There also could be more pieces to this puzzle because the Rockets could take in more money in the next 24 hours. So maybe another big man or wing they can add to the puzzle. Uh, that's the rumors as we're talking late on Wednesday afternoon. Don't know as of our recording what's going to be the final straws to break but the big deal is is Covington you and I discussed the potential of this deal now that you see it on paper Stephen what do you think well the the Rockets were certainly and not using a play on words but I guess it is coveting Covington for quite a while so it doesn't come as a big surprise to me now I know he was with the Rockets once before was it the 2014 season I believe that sometime back but he has become a different player since then and at least so it, as we're led to believe. So maybe the second time around, he'll give the Rockets the help that they need. You know, certainly a defensive presence. Hate to see Capella go, but I mean, what else were you really going to do, Robert, as far as trade chips, you know, and other than the first round pick? I think the Rockets, it, you just have to hope, though, that it's not a panic move, as I think we've discussed, because they're still in the playoff chase. Yeah, they've been kind of going back and forth, and it does seem that they're leaning more toward this small ball approach. And I'm still not convinced that it's really going to help them, especially in the postseason. But they certainly need need to do something better as far as attacking the rim and more defense. So hopefully Covington can provide what they've been lacking in that regard. Yeah, the big deal with getting rid of Capella is the last two years when Capella was in the lineup, the team was obviously better. It worked good with Chris Paul and James Harden. Once they made the Russell Westbrook deal, you got two guys that can't shoot. You're clogging up the lane. It wasn't working. If you look at Robert Covington, you mentioned he was with the Rockets a few years ago. They picked him up, picked him up for virtually nothing. It had been a great story if, if, if he was able to stick around. I think somehow he had to go because of the Dwight Howard move or something like that, but he's a career 35.8% three-point shooter. It's not like he's a three-point marksman. It's more about adding a defender who's six foot eight with a seven foot two wingspan. He's also under contract for two years after this one, which is important if you're giving up yet another first-round pick. What you lose in this deal is two young assets with Capella still in his twenties, and of course the first-round pick. So basically, the Rockets do not have any young assets to deal. In the next few years. And what we learned in this move, Stephen, if we didn't already know it, is big men are becoming the NBA, NBA's version of running backs in the NFL. They have very little value and are considered low cost replaceable. Well, that's certainly true. And as far as the draft choices are concerned, I mean, Daryl Morey has has always had the mentality of let's win now, worry about the future later. So as far as the Rockets draft history, it, it's not really that surprising to me that they gave up yet another draft asset. And uh, as far as Capella, he really was the best chip in this deal. And they are, trying to, I think, trying to move toward 
saving some salary if they possibly can, if they don't have to go into the luxury tax situation. Now, if there are still some players on the board, which apparently there are, there are still some discussions with some Eastern Conference teams about some centers and maybe some other players, then perhaps they could go back to the luxury tax if they have to. But clearly this this was a move that came about on several different fronts. Let me ask you this. Is Covington good enough as a rebounder for his length to kind of make up for what the Rockets are going to be missing? Because I looked at his per 36. He's averaging 7.3 rebounds this year, 6.7 over his career. Is that good enough or are they just going to be uh, dealing with volleyball games above the rim during the playoffs when you're facing the Lakers or, for instance, the Nuggets with Jokic or whoever, you know, you're going to be playing in the playoffs? Well, you're certainly going to find out soon enough with the Lakers as they play them pretty soon. But, you know, it's a definite drop off as far as the rebounding is concerned. And as I said on the last podcast, I'm just not convinced that this small ball theory, at least the way the Rockets are are drawing it up, is going to get them entirely through the postseason. Will it make them better in the short term? Possibly. But, you know, but then there's also the thing that Covington's going to need to get familiar with the system and, and get comfortable. It does take a little while. And, you know, the Rockets don't really have a lot of room for comfort just because of the way the Western Conference is, is situated right now. We got to say a tearful goodbye to Clint Capella and Gerald Green, two of my favorite Houston athletes, because from all I've heard, they're good guys. We know they care deeply about Houston. I mean, we know Gerald Green's out there rescuing people in Hurricane Harvey. I remember Clint, what Clint Capella was doing, helping out people from his high rise in, in uh, downtown Houston while that, all, all that stuff was going on. Both of those guys with a hardcore work ethic, uh, something that you know I feel like Houstonians value. And the Chronicles, Jonathan Fagan posted this story about Capella. It says, all you need to know. He said he went to a Rockets voluntary shoot-around a few years ago and asked Capella if he could bother him with a couple of questions. Capella said, one, you never are bothering me. Two, don't ever ask, her, ask again. The answer is always yes. Yeah, from a character standpoint, you certainly hate to see both of these guys go, Capella. And uh, certainly Gerald Green was one of the more popular players, not just among his teammates, but among the fans. He was a fan favorite. But, you know, between him and Nene not really contributing much this year because of injury, you just you kind of knew that the Rockets, if, if they were able to move them, they were going to. So I hate to see those guys go. But uh, really, I, I mean, I think that in getting Covington, the, the Rockets – kind of set themselves up pretty nicely because they really didn't have a lot of assets aside from Capella and the number one draft pick. I mean, they, they just they didn't have a lot of chips to choose from. Good ones anyway. You got more space for Westbrook to operate after this deal. They're 10-1 and one when Capella hasn't played this year, which is a crazy stat. When I went through those games, though, the best wins in those 11 games were when they beat Indiana two weeks into the season. So that was, you know, early on. Everybody's kind of screwing around, figuring things out. Uh, they beat Utah, which was definitely impressive. We just saw that win. And then Miami, but that was without Jimmy Butler. Dallas without right. Luka. So those are the biggest wins uh, of that group. Nothing stupendous. None of these teams that you beat, you go, well, that's going to mean something in the playoffs. Perhaps Utah would. But bottom line is maybe the Rockets are a touch better after this move, Stephen, but I mean, I think we would both agree on this. Neither one of us are anointing them a championship contender all of a sudden. Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, they would have to do something really major to even get me to think about that. And just the the, the inconsistency that they've had this season, 
a move like this doesn't make them markedly better, maybe on one or two fronts. As we said, defensively, they certainly need help there. But if you're talking about, you know, a Clyde Drexler type of, you know, acquisition that that would make the difference in the team winning a championship. Uh -uh. No, absolutely not. You're not going to get that. Uh -uh. No, no. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, uh, the the bigger, when it's all said and done, big picture, the bigger acquisition, I think this week is definitely going to be 42 year old James click, not to be confused with Jiminy Glick, one of your favorite Martin short characters, but he, he is (laughs) the new Astros GM. And as most of you know, he was the executive VP with the, Tampa Rays. He was in their organization for the last 14 years. Yale history major, wrote for baseball prospectus before Andrew Friedman brought him in to to intern in Tampa. But I think I like this move. I mean, it makes sense on paper. And I mean, we know what Tampa does. Well, we certainly we got a glimpse of what Tampa does in the playoffs, didn't we? And I I mean, I like the move, too. It, it, It certainly it does show that the Astros are continued to be committed to the analytics game, that they're not going to move from that. Uh, It will be interesting to see, even though it is just a one-year contract at this point, how Dusty Baker will mesh with James Click, you know, and and getting the analytics side to kind of together, you know, with the old school approach that Dusty Baker has. But I think in the long-term picture, I think it's a good move for the Astros. I think Jim Crane did a thorough job of really of both the manager and the general manager I think he did a thorough search, about as thorough as you can get. You know, James Click's an up-and-comer. Tampa Bay is an up-and-comer. And don't forget, James Click will have more to work with as far as assets with the Astros than what the Rays had. I mean, he had to really do it on a shoestring budget most of the time and still did a great job in at least helping set up the Rays where they are now. I found this quote by click from uh, a few years ago he said quote when he joined the Rays in 2006 there was no IT department there was just a guy that came in on Tuesday and Thursdays <laughs> Thursdays and helped out we had no company email I mean this is a guy that he was one of the key figures that turned the Rays into one of the best organizations in baseball I mean he was right there on the ground floor despite guess what as you said it limited resources and a limited payroll yeah it's almost like Maybe from, say, living in my 600-square-foot apartment, all of a sudden you, you go to a mansion where you've got all the amenities, you've got servants, you've got this, you've got that. You know, you know he's almost wonder if is he gonna, it's going to take him a while to get used to the fact that he has all these assets to work with and then putting his own skills together with it. So I think it, at least this is finally some good news that the Astros have needed in all the weeks that have led up to this with you know the negative things about the scandal and the, the firing of – Luno and A.J. Hinch and just the fallout from the whole thing. It's nice to have some good news and at least to think that the future is starting to look brighter for the team. And you never know about this. I mean, we we have no idea about this guy. We're, it's just kind of a guess as to how good of a GM he's going to be. You just have to go with what organization he was in, what maybe he's accomplished in the past and that kind of thing. But it, you you never know how mu- how big a role that he, he would have played in all this. But, you know, while, while the Astros fans have been distracted this week by, you know, the hiring of Dusty Baker and James Click, Stephen, it's worth noting that the Angels traded for Jock Peterson, which ups, upgrades their outfield. You add him to 
offseason acquisitions of Anthony Rendon, new manager Joe Madden, and they continue to get just a little bit scarier. I mean, I'm not saying they should be the favorite over the Astros, but man, the Angels are, you know, as long as you got Mike Trout, uh, and, and they got some, they got some things, they got some, you know, really good pieces in that organization. Uh, it makes you glad that they definitely glad they didn't get Garrett Cole as they right. were probably hoping to that, that really would have added something. But I think we know that, you know, the, the window of running away with a division is usually very short. I mean, the other teams, they're trying to get better too. And the Astros, they haven't gotten markedly better, at least on paper with any of the moves they've made this off season. Something else that I think has helped you know, Mookie Betts, he's no longer with the Red Sox. He's in the National League now. So that's one less player, I guess, to worry about in the American League. But as far as the AL West is concerned, I definitely think it's going to be a tougher road to hoe. I still think the Astros can win it, but the Rangers may be a little bit better. The Angels certainly trying to get better. So I think it will, at the very least, be more competitive because of the moves you just talked about. And it looks like the Red Sox, you know, with that deal with Mookie Betts, and you you didn't even mention David Price, who's part of that. No, that's right. He's gone too. I mean, you're talking about an MVP and a Cy Young caliber pitch. I mean, you you got the Red Sox basically. They're almost in, in a semi. Would you call it almost a rebuild at this at this point? Well, it sure feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, you're what one year removed from a World Series championship, and then you have uh, kind of the thing of a scandal hanging over their head and firing Alex Cora, you know, mainly because of the Astros scandal, probably. But uh, the Red Sox are in that conversation. So, you know, what a difference a year makes, really, for for the Red Sox and, of course, the Astros. You know, they still, I think, have a contending team that they can put on the field. But the Red Sox, yeah, it's almost as if they're they're just about to tear things down and, and start over from scratch. You know, one of the things I was thinking, going back to the Rockets and Daryl Morey, remember what happened before the season started. You wonder, I don't know, uh, Stephen, I was thinking, is this coronavirus? Is this somehow the Chinese secret way to get Daryl back? I mean, I don't want him shaking Yao Ming's hand anytime soon. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that reference. <laughs> But that's pretty. That's pretty interesting. The Chinese karma is it coming back to uh, to haunt the Rockets or even Houston in general? Yeah, I just I just thought about that. You know, in the last couple of weeks, I'm like, wait a second. All of a sudden, there's this thing coming over from China, and that maybe they're looking for revenge. And is it, was it something? Did, did, did they going to try to sneak this in into the United States? And and let's see if we can get this over to the Toyota Center. And you know how 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 is that going to all evolve? But anyway. Uh, so let's, I'll kind of sum everything up for the, for this past week, Stephen, uh, in the last few days, I guess the, the Astros may be closer to putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. We shall see the Rockets got rid of their Swiss free throw miss guy. So they should be a better free throw shooting team. And the Dodgers may be trash can proof next year. If you think about it. And finally, Houston sports won't have a first round pick until Josh Reddick's twins graduate from college, Stephen. Ooh, there's a scary thought. I, I hadn't even thought about that possibility, too. But uh, it does seem like the Houston teams aren't really all that worried about the draft assets. They want to win now, and they'll worry about the future when the future gets here. But as you've pointed out several times before on this podcast, Robert, never a dull week in Houston sports. And don't forget the Roughnecks. They're going to start roughing it up uh, this coming weekend, the XFL. So football's not really over. It, you know, the Super Bowl is supposed to end football season, but 
Now football's not really over. The XFL's coming. I'm sure everybody's excited about that. The Roughnecks play the Los Angeles Wildcats on Fox. You can watch it locally on Fox 26. (laughs) And one of the uh, cornerbacks for the Roughnecks is former Texan Charles James. If you remember, he was a hard knocks hero that season. The Texans were featured on the HBO documentary. And back when Charles James was with the Texans, I had a chance to talk about his incredible route to the NFL. I'll leave you with a few minutes of my conversation with James, starting with how he didn't even have a scholarship to college when he came out of high school. You said you had to take a loan out for $40,000. Is that correct? To, to just uh, go to college so you could try to get a scholarship at Charleston Southern? No doubt. It was that loan of 40 ended up turning to about 60-ish, 70-ish, something around that range just because, you know, I, I took a loan out for my first year to go into school. And then the second year, like basically when the first year I went to school there, you know, I wasn't able to play ball. Something went wrong with the NCAA clearinghouse. I wasn't able to play. So um, I basically was just there. I wasn't able to do anything, so I just did schoolwork. And then going into the year, which was my first actual eligible year to play, I had to take out a loan to basically start school for the beginning of that year. But I didn't know I was going to get a full scholarship going into that training camp, finishing that training camp. So it was around 60 or 70 years. And, yeah, man, it was hard. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes you got to make sacrifices. Hell, I didn't know how I was going to pay it back. Um, I knew I wanted to be an NFL player my whole life, so you know I knew I had to work and strive to get there. So um, I decided, you know, hey, we'll cross that bridge when you get there. It's safe to say it's paid back now. No question. <laughs> Been gone. Done. Let me ask you, because uh, you didn't have a scholarship, right, coming out of college or coming out of high school. Uh, what, what was that feeling like that, you know, not getting that scholarship? And how did you decide to choose Charleston Southern? You talk about it in the piece. It's, real, it's a real interesting story. The way of me choosing Charleston Southern came about was because um, a lot of colleges said when they came in that I was small. Okay, I got it. Um, you know, everybody had their reason. I had a good friend of mine. He played quarterback at my high school at the time named Jordan Belser. He took like a a preferred walk-on deal uh, to Charleston Southern. I was undecided on where I was going to go to college. You know, I grew up a Florida Gator friend. You know, I was big on that. But at the end, I was just like, you know, he came up to me. He's like, man, where are you going to go? I said, man, I don't know, man. I applied to a couple of schools. He said, man, you should go to college where I'm going. You know, me and him were good friends, man. And, you know, I trusted him. I never took a visit there. The first time I went there is when I packed my bags. You know, on the summer of, I think, June, June, July, maybe. What was crazy was, you know, it was kind of spur of the moment. You know, I, I applied. They accepted me. I sent my highlight tape, and, uh, you know, I remember they liked it, but, you know, they were just like, well, we'll see if we can, you know, find a spot for you or something like that. I packed my bags, and I went there. Uh, didn't know what to expect. Never been there. Whole other state city. Uh, culture was different. You know, just by the way they talk, you know, Charleston's a little bit different, but it was beautiful. You know, I just never looked back. That first year, you were watching the games from the stands. Is that right? No question. Watched the games from the stands, sat up there with my mongoose bike that I brought from home. Yeah, it was just... It was one of those things that was kind of heartbreaking. I'd never been without football at that point. You kind of see, like, wow, like, you know, this is what it's like. But at that same point in time, I knew I wanted to be out there. I knew I wanted to be a contributor. I knew I could play. Um, And my whole dream was to to continue to play in college ball because it was just to continue to play ball, period, because I was a big fan of the game. I love football. You know, I never never did it for, you know, personal, like, reasons for money or anything like that. It was because I loved the game, the joy that it brings for me to walk out and to prepare and, and, you know, make plays and just be me. It's another thing that, like, I always – we were just talking about earlier with expression. You know, it's a basic way for me to express myself, you know. So when people see me out there dancing and laughing and, you know, big smiles and, you know, hey, hey, I may trade a jersey or so after the game, of course, in the pros. But, you know, those are the reasons why I actually truly – 
enjoy and love this game. So I'm going to play it and give it my all until I'm done. Did you feel like Rudy? Have you seen the movie Rudy? Because that's what it reminds me of. You're, you're sitting there watching the games from the stands, kind of hoping to be out there. Yeah, 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 man. And, you know, when I was able to get my opportunity, you know, I never looked back. I watched those games and, you know, I came up with some goals in mind that, you know, I was laughed at about. I'm one of those guys, uh, you know, I turn around and put the joke on you because I look back at my career. In college, I did everything that I said I was going to do, whether it was accolades and or be a leader, be a captain, All-American player. I did look at, I, I did everything and I accomplished everything I said I was going to do. And everything I was left there for, I was accomplished for. You know, it was accomplished. And so now, you know, when I'm in the league, you know, people say things and things like that. I don't get mad. I don't be negative. You know, I, I take it on the chin and I take it for what it is because at the end of the day when people say, you know, Charles James this, he's that, I hope they're saying Charles James living his dream because that's what I'm doing. And that's why I can never, you know, be down about myself because when you're living your dream, nothing that's said can really affect you. And the first time you went into a game, that they told you to go hit Tim Tebow. Is that what I remember from, the, from what you said? Yeah, definitely was a big Tim Tebow fan. And uh, they told me to do that. And I was shocked. That was my first game against the University of Florida. And I ran in, hit him on a cornerback blitz, and it was loud. He patted me on the back and said, good job. And that was my first play of me really getting my feet wet. And, uh, yeah, I've actually had the opportunity to play against Tim twice. I played against him. I actually played against him three times. I played against him once in high school, once in college, one in the pros. And it, it hurt you maybe more than it hurt him when you hit him. It seems, no you question. said you hit, you hit like a ton of bricks or something. No question. No question. Yeah, he, no, Tim, that was his senior season. I've never heard a place, I've still never heard a place that loud. You know, when he got introduced and it was his last game, he was just coming off the national championship. Or I think losing, either losing the national championship or winning it. And uh, it was his final, no, it was coming off from winning the national championship. I'm like, wow, we really play Florida. You know, first game of the season. And that was, I didn't even know I was going to start that game. Like, I found out like two days before, like, you're the starter, and I had just got a scholarship. I was like, wow, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, when I hit him, and, you know, from then, I never looked back, man. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.